Thank you for downloading the Grove City Vineyard Sermon Podcast. Enjoy today's message. Good to be with all of you. As, as Pastor Tom just shared, my name is Christian Root. I'm, I'm the associate pastor here, and I'm just thrilled to have this chance to share this morning. The, the painting behind me is, is called Behold the Man, and it was painted by Elias Garcia Martinez in 1930 and was painted on the actual wall of a church in Zaragoza, Spain. Back in 2012, the authorities were alerted after the painting was apparently vandalized. And this was quite the big deal because this is a, an 80-year-old painting. It's a very famous painting. And so, and so there, there was a bit of an uproar. It was actually later discovered that an elderly woman in the church who was distressed to see that parts of the painting had begun to flake off had actually tried to restore the painting herself. Can't you just picture this happening? You know, this sweet elderly woman and she's distressed because bits of the the painting are beginning to fleck off. And so she brings in her watercolors from home and she's like, I'm just going to make a little change here, a little change there. And then she realizes, "Uh oh, this is getting worse. And so she tries to make another correction. And before you know it, disaster has ensued. And, And so brace yourself. Let's look at her restoration attempt together. Every time it gets me. That's the same painting. Some of you who love art are like, no, Christian, you should not be laughing. That is a a travesty. That's the same painting. Yikes. That's a bad day right there. And and here's here's why I bring up this story. (laughs) Not just for my own amusement. (laughs) You know, so many of us, friends, have a distorted understanding of Jesus. Like Martinez is painting, the picture of Jesus in our minds has become warped and misshapen. We've lost sight of his love. We've lost sight of his warmth. We've lost sight of his beauty. We've forgotten that when describing his own heart, Jesus said to us in Matthew 11, I am gentle and humble in heart. So many of us, church, have a distorted understanding of who Jesus is. We've fallen for the lie that tells us that Jesus' default posture toward us is disapproval, as opposed to warmth and affection. And and the way we find greater freedom from our distorted conceptions of Jesus, the, the way that we gain a clearer understanding of who He is, is by turning our attention to the cross. For it is at the cross where the heart and the character of Jesus are seen in the clearest relief. It is at the cross where Jesus' love and devotion for his people are are just magnificently displayed. We're in the middle of a sermon series here at the Vineyard that we've called Celebrating the Cross. And over the course of this series, we've been looking at six different reasons why Jesus died on the cross for us. And today we're going to see that Jesus died on the cross in order to demonstrate his great love for us. And I can think of no better text to turn to as we seek to understand the love of Jesus as displayed on the cross than Isaiah 53. And so if you have your Bible, why don't you turn there with me now, Isaiah chapter 53. Hundreds of years before Jesus was born, Isaiah prophesied that a suffering servant would rise up from among the people of Israel and would die on behalf of the sins of his people. Isaiah prophesied that this suffering servant would substitute himself in their place and receive the full wrath of God for the sins of the world. 
And this now is what we read in Isaiah 53. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living, for the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him. And cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Amen. This is God's word. There's some passages on the Bible. All, obviously, all of Scripture is, is inspired, but there, there are some passages that it just feels like you need to take your shoes off, don't you? It's just holy ground. That's Isaiah 53. And this passage really deserves more time than I'm going to be able to give it today. But I, I do want to highlight three ways in which Isaiah 53 showcases the love of Jesus for us. And so let's jump in, church. To begin, Jesus' love is displayed through his suffering. You, you know, there are some fears that transcend time and geography and culture. Do you know that? There are some fears that have existed across all people groups since the beginning of the world. And what is clear from today's passage is that Jesus' great love for you and for me compelled him to live out each one of our worst case scenarios. He lived the life, he tasted the sufferings that all of us across every culture and every century most fear. For what do these verses tell us? Well, we're told in verse 3 that he was rejected by others. Tossed aside, discounted, mocked, claimed to be a fraud. And who among us would say that they weren't afraid of rejection, being rejected by others? You know, I, I can't tell you how many times before a funeral, I've seen a group of guys walk into the church looking really tough, perhaps even talking really tough amongst themselves, you know, just full of bravado. But when you ask this group of guys who among them might be willing to speak on behalf of the deceased at the funeral, they just all kind of look at the floor. That's not me, man. That's not me. I love Uncle Rick, but that's not me. They just kind of shrink back in fear, full of toughness until you ask them to speak in public. Listen, what causes our fear of 
of public speaking. Is it not our fear of rejection? Or or for those of us who do speak in public, for those of us who do give presentations or or teaching, what, what causes us to sulk when it doesn't go the way that we wanted it to go? Is it not our fear of rejection? Or or why is it so hard for us to share our faith with our coworkers? Is it not our fear of being rejected or dismissed? We do not want to be mocked. We do not want to be belittled. And yet Jesus, the Son who is loved perfectly by His Father from the beginning of time, willingly left His Father's side, that place of ultimate affirmation, in order that He might be rejected for us. But not only was was Jesus rejected, but verse 5 tells us he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. In Isaiah 52, verse 14, a a verse that we did not read because of time, it, it says that the suffering servant's appearance would be marred beyond human likeness. So bloodied and crushed that he was beyond recognition. You know, if you think the movie The Passion of the Christ was, was simply Hollywood over-exaggeration, you're, you're just not familiar with the Roman style of crucifixion. Jesus experienced inconceivable, unimaginable pain for our sakes. And oh, how we all fear pain, don't we? In most of our houses, my guess is that you can find ibuprofen and Tylenol for our headaches. You can find cough drops or tea for our sore throats, Tums for our indigestion, and Icy Hot for our sore muscles. We go to such great lengths to avoid pain. We do everything we can to avoid it. And and I I just got to tell you, honest confession, when I'm in pain, I just complain about it and complain and complain. I'm like a a four-year-old when I'm hurting. And yet Jesus was pierced and crushed for our sakes, marred beyond human likeness. And friends, what would be the greatest fear for someone who believes in a holy and righteous God? What would be the greatest fear for someone who understands that the God of this universe sees every hidden deed and knows every hidden thought? I'll tell you my greatest fear. My greatest fear would be that I would be called to stand before God while a list of my offenses was read over me. Every sinful thought, every selfish and thoughtless action listed off one by one, beginning at my youth and leading up right until this morning. And then to hear the judge pronounce over me that I was guilty for my crimes and would therefore be wrenched from the Father's presence and separated from all that is good. And what does verse 6 say to us, church? The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That is, every single sin that was ever committed was laid upon the back of Jesus and credited to his account. It was attributed to him. And so the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus and he was punished in our place. This is why Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3 encourages us to consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The writer of Hebrews was saying, consider this Jesus who lived out your worst case scenario. 
Consider this Jesus whose reputation was ruined, who is deeply misunderstood, wrongfully accused, deserted by his closest friends, who died a young death and drank the cup of God's wrath so that you would never have to. Consider him. Consider him and be humbled. Consider him and be comforted. Consider him and be overjoyed by his love for you. The Puritan... Samuel Rutherford, he said this. He said, oh, if you saw the beauty of Jesus. He said, if you smelled the fragrance of his love, you would run through fire and water to be at him. Consider what Jesus has done, Rutherford was saying. Reflect on this fact that he has lived out your worst case scenario and nothing, not even fire and water, not temptation, not discouragement, not unanswered prayer, not a year like we just had, nothing will keep you from him. Secondly, Jesus' love is displayed through his voluntary decision to be killed. Let's read verse 7. We're told that he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Listen, if you, if you read through the Old Testament, what you find is that sufferers, those who experience suffering, they, they never experience suffering quietly. When David or Jeremiah or Job underwent suffering, they cried out to the Lord. And, and sufferers always cried out in one of two ways. Number one, they cried out in repentance because they recognized the sinfulness of their actions. This is what David did in Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. Or secondly, they cried out in protest. In Job chapter 32, verse 20, Job cries out, I cry out to you, God, but you do not answer. I stand up, but you merely look at me. Whether it was repentance or protest, what sufferers never did in the Old Testament was remain silent. But Isaiah says, this suffering servant to come, he will not open his mouth. He will not cry out because of the guilt of his actions, and he will not cry out in protest. But rather, he will be silent before the shears to indicate his willingness to die. In John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18, Jesus says this, The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. His death was completely voluntary. Now, you, you might say, well, well, Christian, others have voluntarily died for the sake of others throughout history. Jesus is not alone in this regard, and, and that is certainly true and commendable, of course. But you see, Jesus' death is different than every other sacrificial death throughout history, for only his death was truly voluntary. And here, here's what I mean. Because Jesus was born without a sinful nature, and because he never committed a sin, death had no hold on him. Eternal life is what he deserved. Had Jesus never wanted to die, he could have remained free from the grave for all time. And so look, if, if later today I jump in front of a bus in order to save someone's life, I might have sped up the day of my death, but death is coming for me regardless. I might be 34 and I might be 84, but it's coming for me. Only Jesus has died a truly voluntary death because he was not under sin's curse and power. So what kind of love 
must Jesus feel for you that he chose to die in your place rather than maintain his own comfort? What kind of love would keep him glued to the cross for you when at any point he could have escaped simply by giving a word? Listen, in in 2 Samuel 15, King David and his entire household were forced to flee the king's palace in order to escape certain death at the hand of David's son, Absalom. If you've read through 2 Samuel, you'll remember this story, that Absalom, he gathered a group of people to himself in order to overthrow his father, David, and take over the throne. And the coup was successful. So David and his entire entourage, they had to flee. They had to leave Jerusalem in in order to not be killed by Absalom and his followers. And in order to leave, in order to flee Jerusalem, they had to cross the Kidron Valley in order to get out to the wilderness. And this is how 2 Samuel describes it. The whole countryside wept aloud as the people passed by. The king also crossed the Kidron Valley. I want you to hold on to that phrase. That is, King David and his entire entourage, they crossed the Kidron Valley and all the people moved on toward the wilderness. But in John chapter 18, church, we find another king descended from the line of David. And this king, who is even better and greater than David, would cross the Kidron Valley once again. But this king had a much different agenda. And so this is how John describes it in John 18. When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and what? Crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas rather came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Do you see the contrast here, church? King David crossed the Kidron Valley in order to flee from death, while the greater king, King Jesus, crossed the Kidron Valley in order to enter death. Death for you and death for me. You know, church, sometimes I just think the Lord wants to say to us, I just think Jesus wants to say to us, what else do you want me to do for you? What else can I do? To convince you that despite your inconsistency and your duplicity and your brokenness and your junk and your mixed desires and motivations, that my love for you, my affirmation, my, my warmth, it's just unwavering towards you. What else do you want me to do? And, and listen, if you are here and you are not a follower of Jesus, let me just encourage you, do not leave today without without saying, Jesus, I want to follow you. His love for you is so much better, so much greater than anything else this world has to offer you, than anything else you've been running for. This day, you can say, I want to follow you, Jesus, or I want to recommit myself to following you, because his love is just better. Lastly, and I'll end here, Jesus' love is displayed through his desire to be with his people. Let's read verses 10 and 11. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offering, or his offspring rather, and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. 
We're told in, in verse 11 that after this suffering, Jesus will see the light of life. That is, he will be risen from the dead and he will be satisfied. The mark, the defining characteristic of the resurrected Jesus is satisfaction. The suffering servant, Isaiah is saying, will become the satisfied servant. And why will he be satisfied? Well, we find the answer in verse 10. He will see his offspring. And his offspring here, church, his offspring are his followers. Isaiah is making an absolutely astonishing claim here. He's saying that Jesus will be satisfied for all eternity because he'll have you. The king of the universe, King Jesus, was willing to lose everything to have you. He was willing to lose his connection with his father, was willing to be spit on, mocked and beaten, was willing to have nails thrust into his hands and pounded into his feet, was willing to be marred beyond human likeness if it meant that he was able to gain you. Charles Spurgeon said this, He said, no sinner was ever half as eager for Christ as Christ is eager for the sinner. No saint was ever one-tenth as anxious to behold his Lord as his Lord is to behold him. Friends, however eager you might be to see Christ's face, and I know for some of us, you are so eager. He is more eager to see yours. Do you believe that? However anxious you might be to hear his voice, he is more anxious to hear yours. However eager you might be to embrace him in your arms, he is more eager to embrace you. The suffering servant has become the satisfied servant because he's gained you and he's gained me for all eternity. So listen, I'm going to end here. And I, I want to make this personal. If Jesus had died for me on the cross merely out of obedience, solely because he wanted to be obedient to his Father, he would have won my respect. He would have won my respect for, for being willing to be that kind of obedient son. Had he solely died, solely died, that I might escape hell for all eternity, he would have won my eternal gratitude. I would have been eternally grateful for, for Jesus for that. Had Jesus died merely to free me from sin's power, he would have won my obedience. I would have obeyed him. Had Jesus died merely so that he might be raised for, again from the dead, proving his divinity, he would have won my allegiance. I mean, that's a God that I'm going to follow, be allegiant to, a God that has proven his own divinity th- by rising again from the dead. But because Jesus died, that he might see me and be with me, he has won my heart. He has won my heart. Oh friend, has he won your heart? Not just your obedience, not just your allegiance. Has he won your hearts? Have you come to understand that there is just no one else like him? Have you come to understand that he knows the absolute worst about you, and yet no one loves you like he does? Have you considered this Jesus? The one who suffered voluntarily 
that he might see you and be with you for all eternity. Samuel Rutherford said once again, if you understand the beauty and love of Jesus, you would run through fire and water to be with him. And Jesus says to each one of his followers, to each one of us who have said, Jesus, I want to make you my Savior and Lord. He says to each one of us, I found you so beautiful and I've loved you so deeply that I've already beat you to it. I've run, I've run through fire and water to be with you. Amen. Amen. All right, church, why don't we stand together? And church, here's what I want to do. I just want to create just a minute or two before we take communion and worship, just to invite the presence of the Lord. Because you know what? I, I can stand up here and I can rail and I can get emotional and I can throw out all the Puritan quotes that I know, but if the Holy Spirit doesn't impress upon your heart the fact that Jesus voluntarily gave himself for you. It's not going to matter. You're just going to remember the short blonde guy that got kind of emotional and you're going to be thinking about what you want to eat for lunch. I want the Holy Spirit to come and touch your hearts, okay? And so we're just going to invite you to come, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come. And we admit before you, Lord, that while we understand conceptually, intellectually, that you have died in our place, at times your death feels so disconnected from the everyday reality in which we live. And so would you come now, Holy Spirit, and would we gain a greater understanding of your life? Come, Holy Spirit. Come for the discouraged, for the frustrated, for the apathetic, for the anxious. Would you come and would you breathe fresh light? Would you give us a fresh awareness of your Holy Spirit? Would you come and would you minister now in this room? Would you overwhelm us with your presence? Come, Holy Spirit. Church, here's what we're going to do. We're going to worship, and hopefully you grabbed communion on your way in. Hopefully you have some water and some bread at home that you can use for communion. And over the course of this next song, I'm just going to encourage you to take communion on your own, where you're at. Just to be reminded that this bread is representative of Jesus' body, which was given for you. This juice is representative of Jesus' blood that was given for you. I just want to encourage you to take it on your own over the course of this next song. And I also want to encourage you, wherever you're at, if there's a, a posture that you can take that helps you connect with the Lord, that, that helps bring you to a place of gratitude, why don't you just be encouraged to do that over this next song? If that's getting down on your knees, if that's coming forward and laying prostrate before the Lord, if that's raising up your hands, let us come to the Lord and worship now with grateful hearts, knowing that He has run through fire and water to be with us. So let's worship.